I got the opportunity to go to the White House and I was going to actually talk about you know, the importance of the Hispano community. Someone there asked me if I could bring coffee. And <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Oh, yes. And after that, they announced that Dr. Shapiro, the guy that everybody was waiting for, was going to give the conference regarding Hispano health, binational health, and that was me. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores exceptional career success stories, inspiring and insightful personal brand journeys that answer the question, are you coffee? Or are you Starbucks? Fascinating conversations with leaders about their career breakthroughs from entertainment, tech, media, and more. You'll learn how they've turned up the volume on their brand to unlock success. Firsthand, uncensored, and real, as told by people who've been there. And plenty of inspiration and practical tools to help you lead with your brand every day as you drive towards your next career breakthrough. And now, here's your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Hey, everybody, it's Jason Patria, and you are listening to the Lead With Your Brand podcast, which is the podcast for people just like you who are looking to show your value, turn up the volume, and lead with your brand to your next career breakthrough. We are celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month through October 15th, so make sure you check out leadwithyourbrand.com backslash Latinx to hear all of our favorite episodes from seasons one and two, featuring leaders who just happen to be Latinx. Well, I am super excited about today's guest. It is Dr. Elan Shapiro, who is the Medical Director of Health Education and Wellness at AltaMed. But before we get to Dr. Shapiro, I want to talk a little bit about your brand and differentiation. At the end of the day, your brand needs to have a positioning statement. It needs to really say how you are different and distinctive from other people. It needs to describe your clear area of expertise. So I know that you're a jack of all trades. I mean, you wouldn't be successful if you didn't have a whole bunch of amazing talents. But when you think about your brand, you need to whittle it down because nobody goes to look for a jack of all trades. People are looking for people who are experts and really own a space. So what is that one thing or maybe those two things that really define who you are that are a clear area of expertise? Let me give you an example because we all love shopping. We all go to Target. We all go to Walmart. And at the end of the day, they really sell the same stuff, right? They sell the same laundry detergent and barbecue grills and food and beverage and all of those great consumer packaged goods, but we see that Target and Walmart each have a distinctive position and a clear area of expertise. Quite frankly, when you are looking for the lowest price on all of these items, you're going to go to Walmart because that's their brand promise. That is their point of differentiation. They do everything in their business to ensure that they are passing on the lowest price of any consumer packaged good anywhere in the United States to you as a customer. 
But if we go on the flip side, why is it that people love going to Target? Well, at the end of the day, Target provides great low prices and value, but they're really delivering you a little bit of design within reach. So if you're looking for those back-to-school fashions or a cool tee or even a pride collection, or you're looking for those great brands, but at a reasonable price, you're probably walking into a Target store because they look at curating their collections to be some of the best and coolest brands, but bringing it to you at a valuable price point. So that's your homework. I want you to think, what is your clear area of expertise and how can you lead with that and your brand every single day? Well, I'm super excited about today's guest. It is Dr. Elan Shapiro, the Medical Director of Health and Education Wellness at AltaMed. Currently, Dr. Shapiro is helping to create and implement programs and services that expand access to care and improve outcomes for the community. One of his biggest accomplishments at AltaMed has been the development of a dedicated AltaMed health and wellness facility. Now, as part of his educational efforts, he's been actively involved in CNN, NBC, Univision, Telemundo, and Estrella TV to share critical evidence-based information for the community during the COVID-19 crisis. Now, Dr. Shapiro's background includes award-winning public health work, often on an international stage. In fact, after graduating as honorary valedictorian with his medical degree, he worked for the Mexican Secretary of Health as the liaison between Mexico and the World Health Organization. We'll be back in just a few moments with Dr. Elan Shapiro. For over 25 years, Jason has coached, trained, and developed thousands of leaders and executives, helping them achieve their next career breakthrough. He's a featured speaker at global conferences and companies to help everyone bring their best authentic self to work, show their value, and lead with their brand every day. Get more tips and tools at leadwithyourbrand.com. And we are back. I am super excited for today's guest. It is Dr. Elan Shapiro, the Medical Director of Health Education and Wellness at AltaMed. Elan, how's it going? Very excited to be here with you. And uh, it took us a while to get here, but I'm, I'm happy that we're doing it. Exactly. Well, let's dive right in. So, Elan, tell me, when you first meet people, how do you describe to them what you do and who you are? One of the interesting things, I start with the beginning. I always uh, introduce where I'm coming from because Elan Shapiro brings a lot of memories and you're now hearing my accent. Uh, then, you know, the name usually doesn't go with a story. Then uh, I, I try to tell them that I come from a small city. Uh, it's called Mexico City. Uh, <laughs> just that, a little one. Just, just, a, just a little one. And after that, I, I started a little bit on, on the crazy stuff that I have done with Boy Scouts. Um, you know, uh, how uh, I evolve a lot with uh, community members and how to empower youth in Mexico. After that, I move forward with, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, my med, med, med career. Um, and I highlight something interesting because when I, before I got married, I ended up being the liaison between Mexico and the World Health Organization. Then uh, I took a little bit of that part and I transitioned a little bit more on my, my career pathways. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm a pediatrician. Um, 
and I love being a pediatrician, but part of being a pediatrician is the acknowledgement that you work with families and uh, and kids. And I don't know what's your feeling, but, you know, with kids, you have an entire team with them and they, you can actually do whatever, you know, you can do in your power to, to, to make sure that they have a better future. When we are old, we are already, we already had a lot of things in our bags and, you know, it's very hard to change, but when we are kids, it's different. Then I love that feeling. And, um, Apart from that, um, I'm very in tune with uh, social movements. I'm very in yeah. tune how to bring um, technology that used to be like very high tech stuff, and right now it's very cheap to cheap to change the way that um, we bring services, um, information to the community, and um, in the, probably my first uh, pandemia was um, in H1N1 in 2009. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, since then I have been, you know, doing a lot of, um, social communication in Spanish and English for, uh, healthcare. Yeah. And so, uh, Elon, talk to me. I know you always talk about operating at the intersection of technology and medicine. So, so tell us a little bit more about that. What does that mean to you? Well, Jason, um, right now we, we have a cell phone, we live with electricity. We have a lot of things that we take for granted, Um, and one of the things that that you know it, it highlighted all the, all this uh, informational gap that we have, um, especially right now with uh, COVID nineteen, was that you know a lot of the clinics that we work and and do in the world, people were not used to calling in or or having a, a telehealth something with with their doctors or the other way around. We as doctors, we had no idea how to do this, and and and, and then, yes, you know it was. It was a great idea, you know, the, the picture, the, the video and that stuff. But at the end of the day, you get to a point that, okay, well, one thing is theory, the academical part of it. And the other thing is like my, my patient that has not seen me in six months that has diabetes, how can I take care of that patient? And that's more concrete stuff. Then, you know, uh, in early 2020, we had that debate on, you know, yes, we had a beautiful plan for 2025 to develop all these amazing things, to give away cell phones and video. And right now we needed to do it now. And yeah. the problem was not the gap on technology. The problem was the gap of information. How mm. can I teach them and, and teach them, by the way, as doctor, everybody that is involved in the system to use this technology? So, Elon, tell me a little bit about your career. So when you think back, I mean, you've had a great career in the medical profession. What were a couple of the big career breakthroughs for you when you were first entering the space? Actually, I can blame a couple of people. One one is my family. <laughs> uh, you know, with, with, with my parents, I saw them always like helping people. And uh, with different things, my, my mom has been a teacher for years, um, and after that, did a lot of uh, educational stuff for anti-bullying and, and stuff like that. And I, I had a lot of feeling on that part. And my dad was a, um, even though that his career was not teaching, but he did a lot of scuba dive teaching. Then I saw the human aspect of you know being on a boat and having someone with a panic attack, and, and you know, and having a panic attack at 60 feet underwater is not the best place to have a panic attack. <laughs> Exactly. I saw him actually, um, you know, on, on, on the line of fire and seeing how he reacted. And I, I started seeing all this part that, yes, it's important to, to, to um, you know, be and, and be a businessman, whatever. But for me, it was more attractive, the helping part. Um, it was very hard to define um, my career because I, I really tried to, and my definition was I wanted to be an international doctor. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and in Spanish, when you translate public health policy, it translates to public health politics. Then you can imagine yeah. my entire family like, okay, you want to be a doctor, to be a politician? <laughs> that does, then I, I need to, and, and you know, like at 15 years of age, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm a trooper. Yes, I'm going to. A, and they told me like, are you going to go to Africa? Like, I don't mind going to Africa and giving vaccines, but it's this is bigger than that. It's kind of how can you change the healthcare system to improve the health of everybody that is in it? Um, and uh, we, the the equity word was not in vogue. Innovation was not in vogue. Um, all these things that we now take for account were not in vogue. Then you know I had issues with that. Um, Boy Scouts was the other one that actually helped me a lot. Uh, yeah. It, it broke my uh, my shelf uh, and my shell completely on on the way that I interacted with people. Then I, I I didn't mind if they were like eighty years old or two years old, and we needed to do something for the community. We I, I felt that that actually enriched a lot of my 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 uh, expectations. And the other one was one of my best mentors. <laughs> uh, he is uh, actually a GI surgeon, a stomach surgeon. Yeah. Um, and uh, he brought me to his um, lab, and uh, part of the process, you know, you, you go there and you're a med student, and you want to be big shots and do surgeries and whatever. The first thing that he taught me how to do is clean poop. <laughs> yes, for my rats. That that was my job. That was my job for once. You know, I, I I couldn't touch rats unless I was cleaning poop. And the best thing was not that he actually asked me to start with the bottom part of all the process. But he was there on the weekends with me. Yeah, that was the eye-opening experience. The surgeon that had family had absolutely everything. That if it was a team moment, he was not delegating and, and just running running away from it. He was there, present, um, doing it. Then, um, then that was that was I really appreciated that part because he was actually a leader. He was, and uh, he's still a good friend, and it's it's kind of my uh, my lost brother. Um, and, 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 all this, and, and you, you usually don't see a lot of leaders actually doing that and they, they kind of be fair, send, manage, but he was there and present. And I, I, I love a lot of, of, of that part. And, uh, the, the second, I think that the, the following acts were, um, when I got, when I got the possibility to work for the Mexican government as a liaison between Mexico and the WHO, uh, on that scheme, um, I saw, you know, on, when you're a doctor in Mexico, you train and you go to little uh, pueblitos, little towns, and you go to a lot of places and you see, you know, the mismatch of healthcare services on cities, rural areas. When you when you go to Geneva and you see so many different uh, countries um, trying to do the same thing, and you see, you know, like the big companies trying to move one thing to another, I got to see, you know, how the world moves. From the upper part and the middle part um, and the bottom part, and most importantly, I did have the pleasure to see people on the ground. It was not a number for me. It was not, you know, like yeah, forty percent of these people are, have obesity. No, no, no. I, I was working with them. I was helping craft policies to help them be better. Then that's the things that I loved. Then. It was not just the theory, but also the the, the networking, the, the sweat on the ground that make a huge difference for me. Yeah. And so, Elon, let me ask you. So how is it that you you became appointed to be that liaison to the World Health Organization? How did that happen? 
I was finishing my um, Mexico. It's as uh, to become a doctor. You, it's a six-year process. It's four years of training, clinical stuff. One year that you call an intern, different than the U.S. It's an internship year that you're still, um, you know, you're still not a doctor, but you practically live for one year in hospitals. Like you do your rotations in pediatric surgery and that stuff. Then there on, I started actually um, talking with. A lot of people, and uh, there was an opening in the Mexican government, and um, they did blindfold age and gender, um, and they only saw not your name. They 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 actually blinded a lot of things, and uh, it was exam based. In that, and I did well. And after that, they brought me to a couple of interviews, and I got it. Um, and uh, and and I was very thankful for the opportunity because that that actually opened a lot of you know, possibilities to continue helping people. Yeah. And what was the most challenging part of that role for you, knowing that you you were just so fresh out of med school? I'm going to tell you, actually, I'm, I'm going to go fast forward three years afterwards, and you're going to laugh with this one. <laughs> um, I, I After that, I, I, I uh, started pediatrics at Mount Sinai Hospital in Chicago, and I loved it. And um, I was very actively uh, working with a lot of migrant workers with the White House and uh, the Affordable Health Care Act in 2011 was coming and they needed a lot of help to craft uh, Hispano-driven policies and including immigration uh, policies. Um, a lot of the things that I work on never passed anything, but I got the opportunity to go to the White House and I was going to actually talk about you know, the importance of the Hispano community. Someone there asked me if I could bring coffee. And <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Oh, yes. And after that, they announced that Dr. Shapiro, the guy that everybody was waiting for, was going to give the conference regarding Hispano health, binational health. And that was me. And <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, then, you know, that, that that's, you know, I'm always I, I I learn early on that you never know where, where, why, and how you're going to make a difference, but you need to be present. Then, yeah, I promise you that guy will never, never, never again ask for coffee that way, um, <laughs> and I will continue serving coffee. Then, uh, then, uh, but it was funny. You know, after one hour and a half of my my spiel that I was talking about like healthcare and and binational policy, um, economical movement, and and a lot of interesting stuff. And he he has good questions at the end. <laughs> what an amazing experience to speak at the White House. Let's talk a little bit, Dr. Shapiro, about your brand as a medical professional as well as a leader in the field. What are three words that you would use to describe your brand? Honesty. Mm. The second one would, I'm, I'm actually translating from, from my my Spanish brain to the English word, but it's honesty. Uh, there's a lot of commitment and, and responsible. Those are the three things that um, are my brands and uh, my, my my values of and and words that describe my brand and um the idea of it is that you have a lot of doctors right you, you have yeah. a lot of doctors and when, when you start like as i call it going to the dark side uh you have <laughs> certain temptations between you know the the light side and the the, the, the uh, you go struggle and a lot of doctors start seeing dollars and and they forget a lot of the the empowerment of helping people the empowerment of being there for them then uh you know 
I, I promise myself that I will be there for my community. I don't believe you're you're going to. It's an interesting thing that I learned that the community doesn't need to ha be educated. I think that we're fighting the good fight of bringing food to our tables, protecting our families, and doing good stuff for us. But they need information in a in a way that they they that it can be digested, and mm -hmm. most importantly, act upon it. Yeah, and that and that's you know those three words are the ones that empower people to to have honest conversations, to be responsible with the things that we're doing. And if we choose something else, you know, just say it. Yeah, I I don't want to. I did it, and this is what I get, and I'm, I'm you know, let it be. But that that's kind of the conversation that I that I want to bring to the to the table. Yeah. And so I love uh, honesty, commitment, responsibility. It really sounds like you're still that Boy Scout at heart. I think if I lose that part, I will lose myself. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I try to, to have as much fun as I can every day, you know, like even with my nurses, with my patients, with every, you know, like, um, and, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I do see horrible, crazy stuff uh, on the weeks, but part of it it's how can you transform all the crazy stuff that we have around us and and, and do something about it and yeah. bring something positive to world to the world especially right now that we are all in this you know predicament yeah and so have you always felt that that was your brand and your values or has that evolved over time it evolved to the point that uh i, I never asked for things mm. I was very the one that will. I was kind of the punching bag. I, I love the word resiliency. Yeah, you know, like you hit me, I will come up. You hit me, I will come up. But one of the things that I learned in the past two years is that I want to be more than resilient. Mm. I, I do not just want to stand up. I, I want to be taller. You know, yeah. if you're going to hit me, at least it will hurt you. You know, if you get, you know like, the first one, I am I'm your punching bag. The second one, that doesn't happen. And that's one of the things that we need all as as uh, as humans. You know, th there's things that we need to ask for, um, and there needs to be a balance always. You know, if uh, if you bring water to a table, maybe someone brings apples, and you have like a nice meal with water and apples, and and everybody needs to bring something valuable to the table because at the moment that it's completely um you know without a value to the other person it, it becomes a commodity yeah it has a it has a number it doesn't have a feeling i'm, I'm more about feelings and and pushing forward because it, that's that's a beautiful part that of the things that i do i i do not sell i do not sell like potions i, I do not sell vitamins um i want to share information i want to make sure that you have in front of you choices And at the end of the day is, you know, the, the way that I always portray myself is that I'm, I'm a waiter. Uh, when they come to my clinic, to my anything, um, I'm the waiter and they come to my restaurant. Then they need to sit down and relax. The second thing is I'm going to show them my menu. If they like, there, there will be dishes I would recommend. They go like, no, 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 no. That's not for me. I hate that. I'm deadly allergic or other ones that I will recommend and um, they will take. But the promise at the end of the day of that interaction is that, When they leave that door and they close it, they need to be satisfied. You talk about, you know, the need to bring value. So what is that value that you bring as a physician, 
that maybe other physicians don't bring? What, what's your point of differentiation and your value proposition? First of all, Daylan Shapiro, <laughs> it, it brings a lot of, uh, you know, um, cultural background there. Uh, yeah. Also coming from Mexico, understanding what's actually a migrant story uh, that is recent, understanding the values of not just be, being both sides of the border, um, being in both sides of the border at the ground and also at, at, at levels of government and also uh, on the non-for-profit area. Then there's a couple of things there that um, it's not just, you know, the, the pediatrician, it's not just the doctor, it's not just the physician or not the Mexican or not, you know, the, the guy, the Len Shapiro guy. It, it's the combination of that package where um, a lot of people ask me, you know, like, why are you in the U.S. instead of being in Mexico? When I came to the U.S. and I saw the Hispano community and a lot of my, um, you know, co-nationals here, that they were uh, breaking their bags, they were trying hard to get healthcare into healthcare, and they couldn't find the tools for it. Mm. I said, "Well, wait. This is a place that I need to be helping people because mm. they don't have the language, they don't have everything." And the same way that my grandparents felt and great grandparents felt when they came to Mexico. I need to pay back. I need to give yeah. back absolutely everything that they, the people actually in Mexico did for my family. And thanks to all, thanks to Mexico, that's that's why I'm a doctor right now, because actually everything started to align. It was a, they were you know amazing, and you know coming from Eastern Europe to Mexico, uh, where they were looking for the American dream and they had no language, no no nothing. Um, it was it was it was a struggle. It was a struggle from the cultural aspect of it, language part of it, the religious part of it. There were a lot of struggles there. But at the end of the day, after almost 80 years or 100 years, depending which part of the family you see, you have doctors paying back, you know, that thank you note with other migrants that are doing the same thing for, for their families. Wow, that's super, super inspiring. Um, and Elan, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is every time I turn on my TV, you are there uh, talking um, and helping provide information and educate folks, right? I mean, I see you on NBC. I'll turn to CNN. You even pop up on Univision and Telemundo uh, as well. So, so tell me, how does a physician suddenly end up on on television in the middle of a pandemic? I had my first pandemic. Uh, I actually was involved with a response in the 2009 H1N1 pandemia in, in Chicago. And I was very pissed off because a lot of the conversations that we were having on TV were like, we're doomed, we're going to die, and buy vitamins. Those were the three things <laughs> that they were selling to us. <laughs> and, um, and, and there were a lot of public health uh, community uh, clinics that, People could come free, for free and get the vaccine or medication, stuff like that. And we had a lot of, a lot of that. Um, and a lot of people were deadly afraid. And I'm going to use deadly afraid of going there because they were going to be deported or infected or whatever. Then I started seeing a lot of the family members, the parents that I was taking care of actually dying or getting severely, um, you know, sick. Not just for the H1N1, but because they were not renegating everything. It's not that, you know, that when the, when there's a pandemia, um, uh, you know, the, the virus calls everybody else, like, don't come because, you know, I'm here. Then diabetes, <laughs> hold on. Hypertension, hold on. Cancer, don't come. Strokes. No, it doesn't work like that. 
then I was starting to see all the, the repercussions and the horrible things that were happening because of it. Um, and and I, I saw also a lot of mismanagement and misinformation on, on the headlines. Then I started actually writing uh, to different channels and I, I got the possibility to unite the Mexican consulate with the public health uh, officials from the city, the Illinois uh, public health uh, officials. Then, and I started actually writing scripts and information of what we knew on the day. Um, and I started loving it. And one day, actually, uh, one of the the journalists was not there and he was sick and they needed someone actually to give the news. And it was me. And, and you know, it was, I, I did, wow. you know, like it was like a one minute and a half piece in Univision regarding uh, H1N1. And after that, you know, suddenly, you know, NBC started calling and other and, 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 and the idea of it was that I, I really wanted to help. I really wanted to share information as it is, um, trying to take away, you know, sometimes they put a little bit of, of Tabasco sauce and salt and pepper and they spice it up <laughs> to make it more sexy on the media. But I, I needed to make sure that I was sharing information that was actionable, that, you know, uh, one of my best phrases that, that I love and enjoy saying is that I want to translate medicalish to actionable things. Meaning that, you know, you can have all this jargon about hypertension and whatever and uh, the SARS-CoV, whatever. But if it doesn't ring inside of you, if it's not transmitting something that you can do with it, it doesn't work. It's entertainment. It's not it's yeah. not helpful. Then I want it to be that part of helpfulness and actually be present with the community. And especially with with uh, with the Hispano community, because at least with NBC, CBS, uh, you know, CNN, you have established faces. You have a Sanja Gupta. You have all these amazing icons in, in, in all, you know, Fox. It, you have amazing icons there that, you know, you see them and you hear them and, and, and they are transmitting things. But for the Hispano market, there's a huge gap. And so fast forward to the past 18 months, you've really been uh, on on TV and in media a lot talking about COVID-19. So tell me, how do you translate your brand of being, you know, uh, honest and, and responsible uh, that that your patients see you as, you know, when they interact with you in person or in telehealth, how do you translate that for television? How do you, how do you emote that? I'm going to tell you a secret. Yeah. Without my patients, I would not be here. That's Mm, it. Wow. That's it. That's, that, that's without, you know, and a lot of people ask me, you're like, you know, like you probably would do millions or billions of dollars if you devote yourself for, yes, I could but I will stop being a doctor mm. and I'm doing this not as a, a, a media advisory role or not as just someone that is interested on, on hearing stuff. No, I'm, I'm doing this because I'm a believer that this will help more patients. And part of my, my um, growth curve of learning was that um, if I wanted to teach the amount of people that I wanted to teach about H1N1 in 2009, uh, I needed to be seeing like 10,000 patients a day. And yeah. probably my wife would not like that. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and I needed to not sleep, eat, or poop in the entire entirety. <laughs> then, then it was actually, I needed to figure out a better way to communicate and help people uh, in, in another way. And, and this this is it. Wow. Wow. So, um, 
let's go back a little bit. Tell me about uh, growing up in Mexico City. And and did you always want to be a doctor or how did you determine that you wanted to be a physician? Well, Mexico City, it's a beautiful city. It's it's one of the best kept secrets in Mexico. Uh, you have uh, one of the per capita, one of the most museums per capita in the world. You have yeah. amazing service, amazing food, and amazing culture, and um, every everything is it, it, you know the the feeling is amazing, and it's a very polarizing uh, city because you know you have um, neighborhoods and you can see the difference between you know one block to the other, and and everything is it's so uh, tight that you see you know like extreme poverty mixed with high rises that are like New York high rises, and you go back to poverty, and you you're living on that 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 struggle between um what should be a society and what should not be a society mm. um it's very interesting because there's a lot of family values but at the same time that as a country we have a lot of family values there's also that that responsibility of of laughing about life mm. um for the good times and the bad times then uh, and I and I learned a lot of that part because on on, on the heavy days on on med school and 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 school and Boy Scouts and whatever, you know, you always have, even if something horribly happened, you will always have like laughter. Like, yeah, you know, like, you know, you broke your leg, but at least you have the other one or, you know, some, some, some like dark comedy aspect of it. Um, and a lot of the things that I started seeing at a young age was the interaction with people. Um, there's a lot of, uh, we think here in the U.S. that there's uh, colorism, in Mexico, it's amplified, even though that yeah. you know, everybody sees Mexico as, as Mexicans. But if you go there, there's a gamma of different Mexicans. We we have actually Afro, Afro-Mexicans that came way back then on the coast, um, and they are part of it. You know, actually, you know, we there's a lot of continuity of, of Afro, Afro culture in, inside of Mexico. We have the indigenous part of it. We have the mestizo part of it. We have the Spanish part of it. And you have many Mexicos and many, many colors. Um, and even if you go inside of the society, you, you can see those um, levels established by many factors. And I was not okay with it. I, you know, like I, I wasn't, you know, I was very, you know, I, I loved a lot of the, those, uh, old songs about the equality, 60 songs and stuff like that. And um, I was moving forward with a lot of these cultural things. And early on, I understood that, you know, without helping each other, it didn't work out. You know, at, at yeah. daycare, at, at high school, uh, middle school, it needed to be that part. Um, I I did, I actually suffer a lot of dyslexia. Then Ooh. one of my, then part of my superpowers was dyslexia because I needed to learn how to read a different way. Um, and, you know, even though that I had dyslexia, it was not, you know, it's not like today that you have dyslexia and you have uh, these amazing things. And yes, go to the therapy. Line. It's kind of, it was very a cold thing, weird thing. Then yeah. thanks to that, I, I got the opportunity to learn a different way, to see things um, and, and, and attract information on, on a, very basic level to learn and even you know by the way i hate reading i, I can tell you for sure that something that i, I hate reading uh, when audiobooks came to life i was the happiest man alive uh, I, I, and then um you know and, and i tried to figure out how to create 
uh, informational concept, uh, making sure that I was expressing myself in a correct way, then even though that I was lacking a lot of the power of um, reading, you know, reading capture of information, and it, it was not that I was bad, but I took longer to actually learn stuff uh, reading. Then I was very doer. I was very on, on let's th think about this. Then all that stuff actually started to make sense for me. And um, I had this passion about international law. I had this passion about healthcare. Um, and I, I tried to kind of combine both. Um, mm. I was never good at selling stuff, I can tell you for sure. Um, I was, and I'm still horrible of asking for money. For example, you know, if, if I give a conference or, or I'm, I'm doing something like that. Um, I'm very horrible at doing that part. I'm, I'm slowly understanding. Um, and, uh, one of the, and, and all these things started to pile up and, uh, it was clear that I, that I wanted to be a doctor and, um, uh, and I wanted to not just be a doctor, but, you know, to make sure that I was creating a future for kids. That's the best thing that I could do as a doctor in, in, my, in my heart. And uh, one thing led to another and um, ta-da! <laughs> and here you are today. Well, a couple of fun closing questions. We were talking a little bit about your brand, but let me ask you, what is your favorite brand as a consumer? What are you obsessed with? What, what can't you live without? Ready? It's, pr it's yeah. probably going to be a surprise. I, I, I love StreamYard. Wow. Yes. Uh, stream, yes. Uh, it's, it's, it's from, I have played a lot of with media stuff, and especially right now that with, uh, with COVID-19, that you need to express yourself, send stuff, and, and, and create your own brand. Um, yeah. One of the things that I learned to love is, is StreamYard because it can create a lot of interesting things. Uh, you can create materials, uh, educational things, uh, and, and other, and other uh, opportunities to, to, to share information. And without that tool to look professional and nice and, and convert at the same time to a podcast or a webinar or whatever you want, you can do it at the same place. And that's, what, that's, a, that's a brand that, you know, it's bringing me a lot of things. Elan, if you were a type of car, what type of car would you be? It needs to be electric. Yeah. Solar panel powered mm -hmm. and comfortable for at least three people. Ah. And, and yes, that's that's my commute to work. That's what I need. If, if family needs to do something, supermarket, whatever, I need to move from one side to another. It needs to be functional. It needs to be serving a purpose. And on reality, I don't care about the outside part. It needs to be comfortable. <laughs> <the inside part. laughs> and finally, Elan, What's the best career advice that you'd like to pass on to our listeners? A lot of people talk about their wins. You, we need to start normalizing, talking about our lo losses and the bad things that we have done. Mm. Um, the, the teaching here is that when you go to the gym, you need to have pain. A little bit of pain because that's the way that your muscles grow. And the same thing with experience. The same thing when you go and hire someone that didn't be, need to be hired, or you do uh, some um, you know marketing outreach for 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 a campaign and it's it's a complete fail. We need to talk about it because we have. I promise you that we have more failing moments in our lives than good life, good moments, 
in those failing life moments, if we talk about it and learn about it and we normalize that part, we probably will have better better moments afterwards. Then make sure that you 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 try to make as many mistakes as you can. Not on purpose, of course. Uh, but at the end of the day, make sure that you're learning from them and, and be ready to have that pain. Well, Dr. Elan Shapiro, thank you so much for being on the show. It's always a pleasure. And I'm going to tell you one of my best, best phrases that happened here in COVID-19. We need to start vaccinating our community against fear with a dose of truth. Then uh, thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. And I'll be back in just a few moments with my final thoughts. Are you tired of not being recognized for your work? Are you ready to rise above the rest and accelerate to the next level? The Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program will help you take control of your career, develop your own unique brand, and catapult you to a whole new level of success. You are a top performer, and the Lead With Your Brand Career Breakthrough Mentoring Program is what you need to get you there. Visit leadwithyourbrand.com to learn how. Well, I don't know about you, but I just loved speaking with Dr. Elan Shapiro. His energy and his passion is infectious. But you know what really stood out to me about Dr. Shapiro was this whole notion of having a North Star. At the end of the day, you've got to be clear on what your mission is. And for Dr. Shapiro, that mission was really all about helping people and finding equity and equality. It's something that has followed him from being a little boy growing up in Mexico City to being a Boy Scout to ultimately becoming a physician who's looking to scale that message to bring information to the most number of people. But regardless of what he does, it's all based around that core mission. So there's a little bit of homework for you. How can you define your North Star and your mission? I'm going to challenge you to put pen to paper. Well, that's our show for today. If you loved our conversation, make sure you're following us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast episodes so you get a new show every single week. And of course, we'll be celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month through October 15th. Make sure you check out leadwithyourbrand.com backslash Latinx to hear all of our great current episodes as well as the best episodes from seasons one and two featuring spectacular leaders who just happen to be Latinx. Now make sure you're following me on social media. I'm at Jason Patria on all platforms. Make sure you check me out on LinkedIn where I share tons of tips and tricks on how to lead with your brand every single day. And most importantly, don't be a boring old commodity like coffee. Make sure in your career, you are a super premium brand just like Starbucks. You've been listening to Lead With Your Brand, the podcast that explores and uncovers exceptional career success stories and inspiring personal brand journeys with your host, personal branding expert, diversity advocate, and keynote speaker, Jason Patria. Remember to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at leadwithyourbrand.com.